You are listening to episode 240 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we stop at infinity in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So this week we played a little bit of Toy Story 2 on the Nintendo 64. Uh, Ryan was eager to play Toy Story, so that's what we did. Yeah, I don't know what it was this week. It was just like a couple days ago. I think I saw something about like, I don't know, the Buzz Lightyear movie or something like that. I haven't even seen that. But all of a sudden, just rushing back to me came the memories of playing this Toy Story game as a kid, but on PlayStation. As much as I Googled, I couldn't find that the game was actually on PlayStation. So I guess it was this Toy Story 2 game on PlayStation 2 that I had played a bunch. Would make sense because my friend did have a PlayStation 2 that I would go over to his house. So I'm assuming that this is the right game. And it feels pretty right from what we were playing. Uh, Although we were playing on the N64. So that's a little bit off. But I think that, um, yeah, it's a good time. Well, we played with the, um, what's it called? The uh, not N64 controller. Yeah. It was bizarre and weird to me still. <laughs> yeah, I forgot, what is it? Retro Brawler? Brawler 64 controller. Mm-hmm. That's what we played with. And, uh, dude, that's honestly, I think, the best way to play uh, Nintendo 64 games. So, uh, let's dive into our recent pickups and what we're currently playing. Uh, this week, I picked up um, the PlayStation Plus games. So, I got Truck the Yomi, uh NBA 2K23, <clears throat> and was it Jurassic Park or something like that that was on there this week? Hmm. So or this month? So I picked those up, and then as far as what I'm playing right now, I'm still playing White Knight Chronicles. Uh, but I took a little bit of a break. I've been extremely tired um, as of late, so lack of sleep, and decided let me just go ahead and watch some Walking Dead because I haven't watched that in so long. Oh yeah, and where did you leave off? I left off at the about the middle of season nine. Oh wow! Okay, so you've seen way more of it than I have, anyways. <laughs> gotcha. No more questions. No more questions. I mean, I'm never gonna go back and watch that show. It's one of those shows where it's like I've watched the first like four seasons twice, and then the second time I watched it, I watched like an extra two seasons and still gave up on the show. Yeah. And it's just like I can't bring myself to. Go back to a show like a third time. Like, if you don't get me on my first two tries, I'm done. <laughs> so, for me, uh, you know, I, I've always followed it beforehand. And then I, at some point, just stopped watching. I don't remember why. I think it was because I finished season nine. But when I kicked, you know, season ten open and uh, started watching, I'm like, man, I am so far behind. I don't remember squat of what happened. So, I had to go back and finish, like, the second half of season nine. Uh, and get to where I am now. So I'm probably about five or six episodes into season 10 now. And I know it only goes 11 seasons, so almost there. Almost at the end. Yeah. Uh, And that's about it. Uh, There wasn't a whole lot going this week. I I know we played some Magic, so I guess because they were currently playing the Lord of the Rings set, which was a ton of fun. So I went... uh, This is the first Magic I played since, like, October. And I went... 2-0-1. Oh, I had a tie, which really sucked. 
Uh, but if we count the game that we played today, uh, I went two, one, and one because I played you and lost, which was a first. Actually. Yeah, I think it really is. I can't remember the last time that I actually beat you like two out of three. Yeah, of a draft deck. Yeah, that's it was actually kind of shocking. Um, I think for you, a lot of your stuff was the menace and the orc creation. You know, mm-hmm. the amass orcs, which is actually uh, something that I did not utilize. See, I made sure that I had like so when I made my deck, I had like. Three or four creatures that were like flying or menace. I had like three or four cards that would tempt, and I had like three or four cards that would amass. So it's like almost no matter what I'm doing, I'm getting something other than my normal approach of just like a uh, low cost tribal. Hope it works out, and then I run out of steam on turn five as soon as they drop something with like four health. Yeah. So uh, my approach was very much building up counters and uh, scrying a lot. So I was constantly picking at the top of my deck. I did have a little bit of creature control. Funny enough, I didn't draw any of it against you when we played. And um, I ran three colors, which was for limited. That's tough in a set that doesn't have three colors. And I think you ran three as well, right? You went blue, black, white. Yeah, I had to. I just, I didn't have enough. I didn't have enough creatures amongst my spread to do anything really well. I had so many spells in there. Like I still wound up going spell heavy and throwing in an extra land to get 41 instead of a slim 40 card deck to make it happen. Yeah. Honestly, if I would have gone green black only, I probably would have been okay. But then the creatures that had a developed counters off of scrying, I would have lost that ability completely. I wouldn't have been able to use that. So it was mm-hmm. like, man, I kind of have to go green, blue, black. So, or bug is technically the technical term there. All right. Uh, how about yourself, man? Any pickups? Uh, no, I mean, we, I played the same magic you did, and, and it was <laughs> more expensive than either of us were thinking. We both were a little shocked when it was going to be $50. So trying to um, you know, figure out how I'm going to play a lot more of this set. Like I took the last two or three off so that I could get more of this one, and I never like saved up for it. So... I think uh, I got 25 bucks off my next visit to the shop because I maxed out my stamp card. Nice. So I'm going to use that and buy myself a lottery ticket. Hopefully nobody pulls the one of one ring before Friday. Yeah, I mean, you might get lucky. There's some decent cards in there. To... Dude, I want $2 million in a paella. <laughs> $2 million in paella. Uh, I don't know, man. That's insane how, how much those are going for right now. And then, you know, I thought it was kind of bullshit, too. The whole $50 for a pre-release, you know, instead of 25 because, oh, there's cards in here that are really good for modern. They weren't. <laughs> you know, there's nothing in there that was, like, stellar for modern. Uh, I think everything that was of value was actually in the collector's edition. So it mm-hmm. made zero sense to me that we were paying 50 bucks. But I digress. Uh, and then currently playing, uh, what do you got going? Uh, still just kind of meandering my way through Tears of the Kingdom. I did look at the game case for Darkness at least every day that I walked into the room that it was in this week. So, you know, I'm getting slowly used to the idea of starting that game. And then uh, I showed you the Pikmin case last night on stream. So, you know, that doesn't count as playing, but I I was physically in in relation with the game at one point in the last week. So I'm counting it. Yeah. So uh, what Ryan's referring to is we actually were on the PlayStation Collectors podcast last night. With uh, Figsy and Will, uh, two guys ordered are on, I think it was episode 60 that we were on last night. Yeah. Uh, so that was live. It's on YouTube. So definitely check that out. And um, a lot of fun. Had a good time with those guys. All right. Well, let's uh, dive into a discussion topic. Um, I saw recently 
that somebody had posted a negative review on Starfield. I don't think Starfield has been put in the hands of any reviewers at this point. So no. there's not even an embargo, right? And it's definitely not in the hands of consumers. So seeing the the negative review come up right away, it's like, what the hell's going on? Like, why why is this already happening? Like, what's the beef with Starfield? Uh, so you brought up, well, let's talk about review bombing and all of the crazy review bombing that's happened, I guess, this year and I guess most recently in prior years, too. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a trend lately. And I don't know exactly what the leaker, or not the leaker, the uh, reviewer really thinks that they're trying to prove by, you know, obviously lying. Like, they haven't played the game. They don't know anything more than anybody else. So, you know, they're just trying to be negative to be negative. And I know there's been a lot of backlash about, like, the 30 frames. And that's kind of what I assumed all this was stemming from, is, you know, people blow up. When it's not going to be 60 frames. I get it. You know, we are supposed to be in the 60 frame 4K generation. Like, the Xbox and the PS5, they're so powerful. That's what they're meant to be able to do. But, like, it's not happening. And people were really pissed with Redfall. But when you look at Redfall and you look at Starfield, Redfall is a mistake. Starfield is a decision, and many other devs have come out online in defense of Starfield. Because, like, I mean, if you saw the trailer, like, there's a lot of sandwiches you're going to have to throw in your cargo hold. And for the game to be able to track all those sandwiches, can't do it at 60 frames a second. That's true. (laughs) You know, I also saw something the other day that said specifically that the PlayStation 5 is going to rarely have 60 frames per second moving forward in the generation. Uh, Because we're still doing all the backlog stuff that's cross-gen I, I don't even know if it's that it said moving forward it's going to be a rarity for 60 frames per second yeah because they're gonna well that's the thing like back when the, the back gens or you know last gen's not always going to be there but i don't think that's the main reason like there's games that are only on ps5 and pc and they're saying like in general moving forward it's going to be a rarity well that's why because like they're going to be developing purely for those systems whereas those systems can take games that were developed for the last gen and run those at 60 way easier. But now that we're leaving those in the dust, now they really got to step it up and use what they can. And, you know, people love to just complain about anything. And if it wasn't 60 frames a second, it would be the character models. And I've been seeing a lot of side-by-sides between here's what they showed off last year, here's what they showed off this year, And yeah, you know what? Some of those character models do have some noticeable downgrade in some of the quality. But at the same time, like, uh, I don't know. I just, it it is something to complain about. But is it something to come out like five months before the games, or not five months, but, you know, months before the game's even out and complain about before you've even had a chance to touch it? Like, what if you don't even notice that? Or what if it's really not that big a deal and the rest of the game is great and you're like, oh, I'm such a big man. I'm going to give it, you know, a one out of 10. And you're probably honestly going to play it for like 120 hours, even if you are going to complain. Like, that's the thing. Most of these people who review bomb, they're like anybody who boycotts a game. You buy it anyways, and then you complain about it like you didn't just buy it. Yeah, and you know, it's... I think it's negligible, honestly, with console games to go from 30 to 60 frames per second. You know, I've played both 
you know, 30 and 60 and played whatever I've played on my PC. And, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't care for it at a higher resolution or a higher frame rate. Like I kind of like the, uh, the slower pace and turns and whatnot. Now, obviously, unless it's like choppy, even yeah, it's an issue, but that's frame pacing. That's a whole nother issue. Yeah. If you don't have any issues with like choppiness and, uh, and it's, it's actively like, it looks good at 30. I don't see any issue, man. Like a game's a game, right? As long as a game plays well and it looks good in general, and it's got a good story and everything tied to and good gameplay. Like, I don't care if it's 30 frames or 60 frames per second. So, you know, that's obviously one of the many reasons. But to your point, right, like character models and all of that. So the Gollum game, I don't, that's one that, I don't know if the game itself is like the game's terrible. Bad. Is it bad? <laughs> it's just, it's not a, a well put together, like, set of things to be doing as Gollum. Like, it really doesn't make a lot of sense, and the story's not really that good, and the characters aren't so, really that good. So, that's one that's deserving, obviously. It has a bunch of other stuff going on around that. Now, the fact that that was, like, a studio's, like, real first take at trying to do something, like, on that level, like, obviously, they didn't do good, but they tried to do different and tried to do something, and, like, obviously, that doesn't get them off the hook and they don't deserve good scores just because they tried hard but they got a cake though it's like at least you tried (laughs) yeah yeah but like that's a a situation where yeah you deserve some bad reviews for that you're gonna get it in the face but like the review bombing as like a culture and well last of us too was a prime example right mm -hmm. like people did not like so you had uh, two three views actually right so you had well, and spoilers, if you haven't played Last of Us 2, um, so Joel dying, right, at the mm-hmm. very beginning. So you have that whole situation. People pissed off. Oh, Joel died, so I'm going to review bomb it. It's not a good game because of that. Then you have how Abby looks, right? So, oh, Abby's uh, transgender, and I don't mm-hmm. approve of it. Like, she looks trans, so it's review bombed, you know? Or, oh, there's uh, Ellie is gay, so that's review bombed. You know, little things like that. And well, the Ellie is gay one is funny just because it's revealed in the DLC for the first one that she's gay. So you already know that. Yeah. Um, but like that's that's three instances of something that is just I, I can get the Joel piece and get behind that to an extent. Right. Because they advertised that the game was going to have Joel for the longest time. And then, oh, he's killed. Right. The other two. What the hell? Like it has nothing to do with the game. You're hating the game just to hate the game. And some of those people, like you said, are probably going to buy it. They're going to hate on it regardless, but they're going to beat it because, oh, well, I, I want to play it and I want to finish it up. It's just, like you said, the culture is just ridiculous of review bombing. And then there's the opposite, right? Then you have review propping mm-hmm. of I'm just going to prop it up to prop it up because it's uh, something 10 out of I 10, love. Nintendo. Yeah, right? So, like, a good one would be the Pokemon games. Mm-hmm. PS2-based graphics, tons of issues bug-wise, and in all sense, like, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 for, like, what's not a really good game, right, in terms of quality and what's being put into the market. But you have this rabid Nintendo fan base that everything Nintendo touches is gold no matter what. And, you know, it's obviously, oh, well, it's Pokemon. That's the models. That's how it looks when, you know, or, well, it's Nintendo Switch. It's an older console. I would expect it to look like this. Like, there's some sort of defense that goes into play versus on, you know, other consoles right there's a lot more flack that's given to uh, sony and microsoft when like certain things are not met or expectations i should say yeah i mean there really is not i don't know i i feel like it's a it's a matter of the culture and the times these days is really what it is it's like no matter what space you look into whether it's 
politics or just, you know, your fun hobbies like video games. People just want to be so polarized and divided and opinionated and, you know, really go all in on that, not really give like a second thought or a middle opinion. You know, it's it's fine to have games that are 7 out of 10s, but people just think a 7 out of 10 do not play absolute failure. You know, it's got to be a 10 out of 10 or it's not even worth it or maybe a 9 out of 10 or I'm not even going to waste my time. And then on the other hand, it's like, oh, this had one thing wrong with it? Zero. Yeah. You know, people just can't be moderate anymore or you know, really even seemingly have respect for the game's not even out and people are trying to review bomb it. Like they didn't even give it a chance. They saw a trailer a year ago. They saw a very generous 45 minute trailer with tons of stuff and tons of things that look so much improved. Like, yeah, you're looking at the character models might look slightly down, but if you look at the background in the city that they showed off, year to year, it is so much densely filled with rich materials and stuff that you're actually going to be looking at. Like, yeah, you look at somebody's face when you talk to them in the game, but like, you could get past that. If if the whole world looked janky, yeah, that'd be one thing. But like, if it's beautiful and full of detail and that's where all of the energy is going, I mean, that's kind of what I would want them to focus on. And that's what they did. So like, I mean, even <laughs> obviously review bombing and, and Twitter comments are very different things. But I saw like the developers for Postal tried to like come out <laughs> and talk smack. And it's like the commenters are like, yeah, because if there's one person on, uh, you know, jank that I want to hear from, it's the developers of Postal. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you don't really have much room to talk there. Well, uh, let's, uh, of course, you know, let us know uh, what you think of that on uh, our you know, social media accounts. So at the Game Deflators on Instagram and Facebook, at Twitter, at, well, at Game Deflators on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on our website, thegameflators.com. And of course, uh, you can find us on the podcast app that you're listening to right now. Leave us a five-star review. Yeah, well, sorry. This is the one place I will say no review bombing. Oh, yeah. Only propping. Only, only five, five stars. Only five stars. And if you can, leave 10. Uh, oh. Watch, people are going to be like zero out of five stars for next week's podcast. Yeah, right. Haven't even heard it yet, but it sounds awful. Yeah. So let's dive into uh, the first article I have here pulled up is that there's a rumor that Nintendo is preparing a Nintendo Direct for next week. And uh, this is by Sicker at My Nintendo News. So, um, you know, I mean, not, not a whole lot to kind of pull from here. Uh, there's obviously another article that we'll reference, but... You know, it's interesting that you have two leakers. So you have Nate the Hate as well as, um, you know, Nintendo Universe uh, specifically have both said through anonymous sources that and reliable sources that there is a Nintendo Direct that will be taking place next week. And uh, the site said that it is going to be or it, not, it will not be a third party direct as early first party game showcased. So that's a good sign, right? You know, for Nintendo fans to see like additional first party games. Um, I don't know when the last Nintendo Direct was. I'll look it up. Um, so, you know, it, it's obviously good when we have those first party titles, but that ties into uh, another article uh, that was from Gamer Rant, and that's is through uh, Dalton Cooper. Who says a Nintendo leaker has teased big GameCube games that are March coming March 9th. Nice. So it's been a little bit. Yeah. So big GameCube games that are coming out for the Switch. Um, and he references 
uh, in this article, uh, Thousand Year Door, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, F-Zero, which is interesting because we haven't had an F-Zero game in a very long time. And then, of course, noted things like uh, Metroid is noted on there, as well as Wind Waker and Twilight Princess, right? Two games that people are looking for. All GameCube games. Yeah, all GameCube games, right? Um, obviously, we saw, what is it, Baton Kados? Uh, Baton yeah. Yeah, Baton Kados, whatever. Uh, that actually... Uh, got you know release in play asia so gamecube games are coming out right with hd remasters and such and um it's you know a good assumption to make that the next one could be gamecube games i think that that would be such a strong play like and i remember reading some stuff about this like a few months ago i don't know if we really talked about it then but with you know the switch being on the way out and you were talking about this a little earlier it's like okay you know what are they really going to be showing off because, you know, with the brand new console coming up, like, yeah, a lot announced. of times you'll have, like, a swan song kind of game. But, like, Tears of the Kingdom feels like that swan song kind of game. Like, I don't know that you're going to really put something else to really push the system beyond that. And you also don't want to, you know, go into the next gen without something, like, real fresh to be able to carry you as a strong launch lineup. So if you've got you know, seemingly another year, year and a half that you maybe have to fill out until the launch of the next console, then where's a good place to go? Well, uh, we all love those HD remakes now. And, oh man, yeah, we've been talking about, what was it like last year in the shareholder meeting, somebody bought like enough shares so that they could ask about F-Zero at the Nintendo meeting. Yeah. And like everybody's been wanting, you know, a really good classic Paper Mario game and we've been getting all these weird ones so to see the rumors of gx and thousand year door just as hd remakes like that's genius it's got to be way lower cost than trying to do something brand new and it's literally what people have been asking for like we would be so happy with just those things we really don't need them to develop brand new ones right away but if they sell really well it'll prove to nintendo hey this is what people want. Like the, as far as I know, the Paper Mario games have been fairly successful. Like I think that each one has sold better than the last one. Uh, I don't think Color Splash sold very. Maybe well. not Color yeah. Splash, but like I think Origami King did pretty good, and you know the reviews were like kind of okay. People weren't super into the combat. People want the old one. And if they can sell this one and it blows them all out of the water, maybe that'll give them the you know confidence to say, okay, we will go back and do it the way you want because you proved it with your dollars now. And same with uh, F-Zero. Like, they've been saying for years, we just don't know what to do new to it to make it better. So we're just not going to do it because Nintendo feels like they always need to innovate to do something. But you know, if they realize they can just make money Doing the same thing, I mean, it gets away from what we we like Nintendo that they innovate and they do stuff, but they do it wrong so often. We really would be comfortable just them doing it the right way again, the way we want it to be done, the yeah. way they did it before. Yeah, and you you know you brought up a good point of like the new console and whatnot, and so you know, and I had noted it earlier, like why why would you push, you know, a whole bunch of Switch games. And the only logical explanation I would think is if the new console is backwards compatible, 
then it makes sense. Hundred percent will con- be. Con- well, I mean, I wouldn't say a hundred percent. Yeah, because Switch wasn't backwards compatible with the Wii U or the Wii. Well, because it's not a disc-based console. I know, I know. I'm just saying, like, it wasn't backwards compatible. Um, and there were plenty of great games on the Wii U, but they obviously ported a whole bunch over in some capacity, right, over to the um, over to the Switch. So if the Switch is back or the new whatever the new console is, Switch. Super Switch Nintendo Switch. Switch Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, and Switch to Electric Boogaloo U. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, whatever that is, if it's backwards compatible, I think this would be the right move, right? Get a whole bunch of old GameCube games out there that are HD remakes. You know, get those sold out on the Switch. Bring out a console that is backwards compatible so all of your people can kind of adopt there. And then you really don't have to go out the gate with like a ton of crazy, you know, first-party titles. You can get a couple launched in there, right, to kind of get you know, people interested, but you don't really have to necessarily. And, you know, I think there'll, there'll be enough interest there for that. I can picture though, because they did it with uh wind waker or not wind waker. Sorry. With, um, God, what the hell was the one before tears of the kingdom? I don't know breath why. Of the wild. Yeah. Breath of the wild. I'm just like spacing. You didn't play it. I didn't play it. Yeah. So, you know, they released on the Wii U and then obviously it was released on the switch and a higher res version, I guess you could say. Right. So it'd be interesting to see like if this next console comes up or like, Tears of the Kingdom with DLC now on, you know, whatever the new Switch is. Like, that would piss so many people off, well, depending on when that kind of thing is announced. I think it'll just be optimized to hopefully run Tears of the Kingdom better on the newer console. Well, I It really mean, depends on if they gimmick it out. Like, if the new Switch does weird stuff, like, you know, that'll make it a little bit wonky. Like, I know that they've done a few... I mean... Nintendo is not shy of doing remakes for this console. Like, they did bring up a bunch of, like, Wii U games and stuff over the last years, but those definitely had a lot more effort to convert them because you're going away from the dual screen. There was a lot more that you had to work to get that to go down. And, you know, I I see how... Same thing with, like, the Wii. And honestly, there's not that much on the Wii that I really would want them to pull over like i guess they did skyward sword dude there are so many good games on the wii actually yeah but like games that are going to be inherently like you could play this in handheld mode on a switch light and it's going to work as effectively and in the way you would want it to play when you were playing it on the wii like yeah, I see that's a saying. lot tougher of a of a transition but the gamecube is so easy because it's just a screen and controls you can just Move those games over. And they were so foundationally good. Like the Metroid remake, so good. The uh, Resident Evil 4 remake, I mean, that's not even on Switch, but so good. But these things from that era are so, I don't know, they've got a a prominence to them. Like there was such a, a golden age on that console, even though it was at the time, like it got talked so much smack about compared to the Xbox and the PlayStation. But like, the GameCube was just like a gem factory for these games that like are expensive and hard to get or or whatever now and giving them new life through you know the next year like yeah bring on that that's what uh, our generation we were ready for that nostalgia hit yeah well regardless of what they show I think it'll be exciting news uh, at the end of the day uh, that we'll hear from Nintendo so we will see what comes up here hopefully next week um but dude let's dive into our inflation deflation so 
Uh, we played Toy Story 2. I don't know if there's a subtitle on that, but Toy Story uh, 2. Buzz Lightyear to the Rescue. Buzz Lightyear to the Rescue. Uh, it was developed by Traveler's Tales, uh, published by Activision Disney Interactive. It was directed by John Burton, and it was released in 1999, uh, November of 1999 specifically. It's a platformer with a reception around a 6 to 8 out of 10. Depending um, on the console. Yeah, I would imagine PlayStation is probably a little bit higher on this or no? Actually, the highest score, I think, was on Dreamcast. Interesting. Okay, you know what? I think I have it on Dreamcast, too. Funny oh, enough. really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I do. I remember um, playing this on PlayStation as a kid and just loving it over at my friend's house. Yeah. Graphically, actually, Dreamcast would probably have been the... Yeah, it would be the better option because that was released during mm-hmm. the period of PS2, uh, which is why some of those games hold up so well, I think. Uh, Plot-wise, it follows the plot of the movie. So Woody gets kidnapped, and it's up to you as Buzz Lightyear to save him with the help of your toy friends. So, Ryan, take it away as far as uh, gameplay and what we experienced. Yeah, so um, classic, you know, movie license tie-in game, but done well. You know, I think back in the day, Disney definitely had, like, a lot more involvement uh you know through their own studio and they didn't really just like throw things out to be licensed out as like shovelware garbage like a lot of other movie tie-in games so it definitely has that kind of quality in the same way that i would say like aladdin has that kind of you know movie tie-in quality game and it just feels good like i remember being a kid and you know Toy Story was so novel and great as like one of the first like early 3D movies that you had played or you know watched and being able to you know translate that over onto some of like you know N64 you know PlayStation I mean PlayStation 2 so it's not like super early in the cycle for going into 3D games but still early enough that you know kind of novelty there still kind of figuring things out a bit so a little bit more forgiveness and leeway but i mean the platforming as a toy in a big human world is endlessly entertaining like being small in a regular environment creates great platforming opportunities you know just getting around everyday things and navigating the world as a toy is really fun it also makes you wonder what Andy's mom is doing um, <laughs> because you go into the garage and there's like four automatic drills going down at all times. And then there's multiple bud saws going on the side as well. Just constantly. That's why running. I was like, where's Andy's dad in all this? Right. Like Andy's dad is, you know, uh, incapacitated He's up somewhere. He's gone. Yeah. His mom like really screwed up his dad. Uh, yeah. So, you know, this game's actually a pretty good platformer. I enjoyed it. The camera angles were a little wonky, but N64. N64, but I think in general you would probably have this issue regardless. You know, well, I don't know because like dual analog. That's true. Dual camera, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. You probably wouldn't have this issue on the PlayStation or PlayStation Two. But yeah, on the N64, it's a little harder, right? Because you have to use the uh, the C buttons, right? And then you've got your joystick for like general movement. Well, the C was for like C was for camera. Oh, was it? Just the down was an attack. Yeah. Okay. That's the only thing. So left and right was how you you moved your camera. Oh, I kept just trying to hit use the shoulder button to like center it back in front of me. No, you. We actually had it was um, automatic camera Mm -hmm. work. So like if you were going straight, the camera automatically panned that way, but or panned that way. But it was an issue because if you're turning a certain angle and like say you wanted to look sideways, like you know straight up like you know classic 2d Mm -hmm. platformer style 
you couldn't because it would automatically rotate you and then you fall off a ledge yeah. right off the bat. Lots of falling off of ledges. Yeah. So once you turn that off, it became a little bit easier to kind of manage those high end points. But, you know, as far as platformers are concerned, I thought it was actually a pretty good platformer. I had some fun. We played all of Andy's house. We got all of the sheep. We got all the coins. We got um, the Pizza Planet tokens, all of that. We cleared it up. And uh, there's plenty of. Uh, what's his name? Is it a uh, Zerg? Is that his name? I forgot who the bad guy is. Yeah, Zerg. I mean, I don't think we saw Zerg. I think it was just we the robots. It was his like lackeys, yeah, basically. Yeah. And uh, that that's what I was referring to. I just want to say Zerg's lackeys. And uh, you know, it was, it was pretty cool being able to use a laser beam, bouncing off it, like ground pounding on the couch or a chair to be able to go to different sections of the level. Uh, oil slicks, like all these crazy fun things, like grabbing on the poles and swinging. Like there was. As far as platforms concerned, there was a lot going for it. And graphically, it was actually pretty good. So, you know, looking at the brass tacks on this, a complete inbox copy right now on the N64 will run you $54.39. It peaked at $67.95 in December of 2015. It's actually kind of shocking that it peaked then. Uh, A loose copy right now will run you $16.91. It It was kind of one of those like random super spikes Uh, that went up a long time ago. Uh, a loose copy will run you at nine, or, uh, 1691. It peaked at 1926 in April of this year, actually. It's trending up. Uh, and then a it's not on digital console, not on PC, none of that. No advertised pricing out there anywhere. Um, you know, I think it's 1691, dude. Like, honestly, this is a, I think this is a $20 platformer, easily. I, I don't think that this is one of those games that. Um, if you see this for 15 bucks, 16 bucks, you turn it down. I think you buy it because I think it will go up. And I do see the value at that $20 price point. So in my opinion, I think this game is actually deflated. Yeah, I think that it's a really fun game. I mean, looking it up online, you can get a complete inbox PS2 version for $21.21. Yeah, so that's probably what I would say is a really decent price for this. So the fact that you can get the N64 cart loose for less than that, I mean, maybe the controls aren't as tight, but... You would never know if you only played one version of it. <laughs> yeah, it's an enjoyable game. I mean, I, I don't, I don't really have anything against it. Um, it. It controlled well for the most part, and the story is Toy Story. So if you're a fan of you know anything Pixar related or just want to have a good fun platformer, this is one to play. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. got the music, it's got the voices, it's got that really home feel. Like if you like Toy Story as a kid, or even you know uh, in the modern era, if you show your kids these kind of things and you can get them to play old games. I mean, this would be a terrific kid's, you know, first platformer. I mean, Buzz Lightyear is like, when I was a kid, Buzz Lightyear was super cool. You know, he's got a laser, he's got wings, he flies in style. Like, all that stuff is awesome, and it's fun to be that. Yeah, totally agree if you do. Uh, so, our official one on this one is Deflated. It's first one in a while, I think, actually. I think so. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, don't know what we're playing next week. We haven't figured that out. I, I'm thinking something on PS1. You can use your ability to uh, conserve video games, and I will pull something off my shelf. I am a conservationist. You are a video game conservationist, as we uh, talked about last (laughs) night, too. Well, this has been episode 240 of the Game Players Podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.